Welcome to the Business in Vancouver podcast. I'm Tyler Orton, and this podcast is brought to you by Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors. Well, I don't think there's any question about how much, I guess, the cannabis industry is really gripping a lot of interest across Canada at this point, from investors to just, I guess, they're retail investors that are curious about what this means for the future of the economy. So we're going to delve deep into what's going on right now, first with the marketing issues that are going to be popping up about how you're actually going to be pushing forward these products. We speak to Dan Sutton. He is the founder and managing director of Tantalus Labs. The company has received its license for medical marijuana, and there's definitely interest on in the part of pursuing the recreational side of the industry as well. Following up from Dan's conversation, we're going to speak to Deepak Anand. He is a vice president of government relations at Cannabis Compliance Incorporated. We're talking all about the political upheaval that's going on. And I would not necessarily call it upheaval, but we do have some questions about, say, everything from the Senate votes that were just passed recently to how provincial, federal, and municipal relations are going to be going forward with regards to that. So why don't we start with Dan Sutton here? It's a fascinating conversation. Welcome back. You're listening to Business in Vancouver on Roundhouse Radio 98.3. We are the daily business news program from Business in Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Tyler Orton. Health Canada has unveiled new restrictions on cannabis packaging. Some very interesting details there that we did not know before. Meanwhile, Ontario is moving forward with its own plans to license lounges for consumption of these products. While BC, well, it seems as if the government might be dragging its feet just a bit for now. Joining us today to discuss some of the big news circulating around the cannabis industry, it is Dan Sutton. He's the founder and managing director of Tantalus Labs. Dan, great to have you back on your regular segment here. Glad to be here. So these new rules that were just introduced uh, this week, uh, it's mostly geared towards plain packaging, more or less restricting uh, things that you can put and what you cannot put on to these cannabis products. Was it more or less than what you expected from the government? It was substantially more restrictive than I think anybody was anticipating, especially uh Considering commentary around tobacco and alcohol, uh, you know, using information from from the history of those packaging regulations, it, it seems to be far more restricted from both. I think the collective reaction from licensed producers and participants in the cannabis industry was really well, pretty harsh. Let, let's talk about some of the examples here because they do say that you can have one additional, you know, piece of, I guess, branding on it. Um, I guess maybe a small sticker of some sorts in addition to the name of the company. What do you make of something like that? So um, they've put us in an interesting position because you're saying you can either use a branded like sort of logo style uh, word mark as the representation of the company, excuse me, that's selling the product, or you can use it uh, to identify the strain, but you can't do both. So they're basically asking us, okay, we can either brand the product and use just text to refer to the company, or you can brand the company and use just text to refer to the product. Uh, But moreover, I think the really intimidating part about these packaging restrictions are that probably about 80% of the information on the package needs to be warning labels and data. And only about 20% uh, of that package is going to allow consumers to identify who actually produced the product. So then what is the concern? If it's hard to discern for consumers, what is the concern for the producers when it comes to just the way that they're able to market going forward? So altruistically, you know, I would love 
an environment where what this implies is essentially it's what's within the package that defines consumer brand quality. If it was that, uh, you know, the actual quality of the cannabis and the quality of the cannabis products then became the core differentiator, that would be awesome for brands that are focused on producing quality products and ensuring that their experiences uh, are, are really exceptional at every user touch point. But what I think is actually going to happen is that this is going to push uh, the further commodification of cannabis. Ultimately, it'll be far easier for large companies to occupy the best marketing tool of all, which is shelf space. Right. The more diverse uh, their retail touch points, the more likely the consumers are going to be to try their products. And this is very harmful for uh, craft producers, small scale producers, small batch producers like myself that are not necessarily trying to differentiate on you know, production scale, but more so on product product quality. So, because the other issue is there are going to be price restrictions as well. So even if you're producing at a smaller scale and you can't differentiate just by marketing, you can't also maybe differentiate by, I guess, the price, if that makes any sort of sense, because maybe for a uh, product that is in high demand, but has like low production at that point, I I just wonder if it might be a, a bit of a losing game for a lot of these smaller producers moving forward in Canada. Looking at the regs for for micro licenses uh, that were published at the same time, it's certainly going to be very difficult to create a sustainable business with a, a micro license. And absolutely, those producers that are are enjoying economies of scale. I mean, the the larger producers in Canada will see substantial cost reductions. I mean, almost exponential cost reductions relative to economies of scale because all of the infrastructure that you need uh, to be able to, to produce cannabis, it, it, it doesn't change very much in terms of CapEx, whether you're growing at uh, 100,000 or 500,000 square feet. The, the reality is that production at scale is going to create huge, huge price compression, and it will be virtually impossible for craft producers to keep up, especially if they can't differentiate on brand. But I think you bring up a good point with regards to shelf space. If it's just maybe two or three of the big guys, they're just able to fill everything up there. If people will just kind of reach for whatever they see, if they're not really looking that hard at maybe a tiny little sticker that you know denotes which company is producing what. I think that there certainly are consumers that differentiate on quality and, and want to see cannabis that's, you know, of exciting genetics, that's been meticulously cared for, it's been really well finished. Uh, and and Tannelis Labs certainly wants to meet those discerning consumers where they stand and, and say, look, we've thought this stuff through and we're here for you guys and girls. Um, but for, for the most part, the perception, I think, from investment banks, from large LPs is that anything we put out is going to sell in the first few years at least. Uh, and I think that that will create a very competitive environment and ultimately a hostile environment to those more quality-oriented producers. I don't know if this is an accurate comparison, so just fill me in if, if you take any issue with this. But if we go and look at what we see in liquor stores where, yes, you know, the big guys, they will occupy a lot of shelf space. But you can also look at the craft brewers. They'll have separate you know, craft brewery sections, very discernible you know, advertising or at least marketing within their bottles. Is this why are we having so much focus on, say, the cannabis industry, but we can move forward with that sort of, I guess, layout with regards to the alcohol industry here in Canada? I think it's a very, very fair question. And and we've talked a lot about how regulated cannabis needs to cannibalize the black market to achieve uh, the political objectives of this liberal government. 
But there are other social impacts uh, to legalization. In, in Colorado, for instance, it's a substantial reduction in alcohol consumption because cannabis is ultimately a substitute product for alcohol. It seems as though the more cannabis that is consumed in a legal jurisdiction, the less alcohol there is to be consumed. Now, the reality is that in, in terms of cost, social cost, economic cost, cost to the healthcare system, alcohol is very burdensome on our society. It's a very expensive uh sin to enjoy. I'm not coming at anybody who enjoys a drink at the end of their day, but there probably is a social benefit to allowing some of that substitution effect to occur. And in order for that to take effect, we need to allow cannabis to compete in a marketing sense with alcohol products. I mean, some of which are almost seem perfectly targeted to children. There's a, there's a Hires root beer product called hard root beer that has 7% alcohol and the can is virtually indiscernible from the non-alcoholic variety that you can buy in pop machines today. I'm, I'm going to digress for just a moment, but at my previous newspaper, I, I remember writing maybe six, seven years ago about these advertisements for these Alcopop products that are going up near high schools. And it's just kind of, you, you, you think, yes, that there is kind of the, this distinction being made between you know one industry versus another here in Canada right now. So I, I don't know what the answer is. I'll throw this out to you. How do you discern yourself? How, how does marketing go forward if packaging is going to be such a challenge? Because I, I also wonder about restrictions that there might be about, say, just print advertisements, billboards, uh, online advertising as well. What, what's going to be the future of marketing for the industry? Well, Tantalus Labs has always framed the anchor of its marketing strategy in our authentic representation of our true culture. The things that we care about, we believe there is a large subset of cannabis users that care about those things as well. We need to articulate that story, whether it be through our website, whether it be through our social media channels, so that people know that when they're purchasing Tannels Labs product, they're supporting a sun-grown future, they're supporting sustainable enterprise, they're supporting, in the case of British Columbia, locality and a producer that exists you know, just outside of Vancouver. And, and we think that that will really be the best representation of that is in our end product quality. The cannabis that you buy from Tannels Labs is of excellent genetic quality. It's been meticulously cared for. It's been meticulously finished. And hopefully, quality cannabis, it, it seems as though historically, quality cannabis will always sell. Um, but it is true that telling that story to new audiences is becoming increasingly difficult. It's become increasingly difficult with these new packaging restrictions. And it's going to take a lot of creativity from firms like ours to be able to articulate what is behind the brand, what is behind the packaging, uh, and hopefully find a user base that feels those same moral obligations and, and believes in the same things that we believe in. Uh, so maybe for me to use another weird analogy, it could be like a sleeper hit at the movies. It's all the word of mouth that's carrying around kind of uh, the, the product and the quality that uh, maybe a lot of people are pitting, I guess, their revenue on going forward. Uh, our guest today is Dan Sutton. He's a founder and managing director of Tantalus Labs. We were talking just a moment ago about, you know, uh, kind of consumption in, say, Colorado, for example. And it makes me think about what consumption is going to be like here in Canada moving forward, because we do have, you know, the discussions going on about licensed lounges where maybe you would be able to buy a product and go uh, and actually consume it somewhere. Because we also know that there's going to be restrictions, say, if you rent a an apartment here in Vancouver, whether the landlords would allow uh, or permit, uh, you know, consumption within your own domain there. So what do you make of the BC government's decision to kind of put off any decision making with regards to these licensed lounges going forward, Dan? 
I, I think it's probably a function of the complexity of the cannabis file, and I will cut the BC government some slack on this issue because this is a complicated topic. It was referred to by John Horgan himself as an elephant in the room. It's very diff- difficult policy to write, and they have very tight timelines. But the reality is from consumption lounges to delivery services to further facilitation of omni-channel offerings so that different users with different uh, consumption preferences can acquire these products in a convenient way is essential for the next sort of 12 to 18 months of policymaking. And to see that Ontario is getting ahead of us in consumption lounges seems a little bit out of step with the cultural history that BC has with cannabis. I think consumption lounges are absolutely essential to a functioning uh, regulated cannabis model. And uh, it'll be really exciting for users to be able to go interact with other users, talk to purveyors of products and and get first front lines uh, reviews and I guess product knowledge from the people who know it and care about it best, uh, who would likely own and operate consumption lounges. Tell you what, uh, yesterday I was riding my bicycle and I was actually thinking about our topic, uh, knowing what we were going to discuss today, Dan. And I, I rode by a woman sitting on a park bench and it was very obvious from the aroma she was consuming out in public, which in Vancouver, it's kind of like, eh, y- you don't really think about it that much anymore. But we do have very specific rules being outlined by the federal government about, say, consumption within public areas. I also know that you, it's not been a huge priority for the Vancouver Police Department, at least, to crack down on this. That's been coming from City Hall. I do wonder where, what we make of the kind of the future of public consumption, at least in a jurisdiction like the city of Vancouver versus, say, the suburbs where you would have different uh, police forces that may be more willing to crack down on this. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how it plays out. I think the VPD have historically been some of the most liberal and tolerant around, uh, you know, cannabis consumption and cannabis enterprise. Certainly, the facilitation of dispensaries that use uh, exclusively black market product as their supply chain is a is a great function of that, or an obvious function of that. Um, and I, I just hope that it's you know ra- rational policy is developed because to police every joint that is likely being smoked right now as we speak in the city of Vancouver would probably represent billions of dollars in policing cost uh, even just this week. I don't think there's a city in Canada where cannabis is being more prolifically consumed in public places. Uh, and I, I think knowledge of that and appreciation of that is is going to be really important as this policy gets developed. One last question for you before we let you go. I should have asked this earlier on, but just with regards to that example in Colorado or say Washington State, what is their marketing looking like for packages though? Like what other jurisdictions are, you know, moving forward with this? Yeah, this is really interesting because apparently Health Canada and, and the federal government as well as provincial governments have send dele- they've sent delegates down to Washington, Colorado, now California, Nevada to assess marketing restrictions and, and what marketing uh, is going on down there as well as product packaging. But yet we were hit with far, far more restrictive packaging obligations than any of those states and any of those legal jurisdictions. Um, you know, if you, if you go to Colorado, fair enough, you're not going to find products that are actively marketing to children. They're not going to use any cartoons or uh, mascots or anything like that. But nonetheless, it's very easy to differentiate one producer from another. And they are given quite a lot of flexibility in their design aesthetic and, and how they approach differentiated customer bases, which maybe is a 
function of a lack of nuance on the Canadian government's part. They don't realize that the cannabis market is not homogenous. It's very segmented. There are people that are looking for lotus edibles, and that's a very different category than people that are looking for high-potency flour. And so the ability for a brand like Tantalus Labs to tell a story that is unique and not targeted at the large middle, but rather targeted at a small subset of discerning users, is actually really critical for a market that thrives to the capacity of being able to cannibalize the black market and achieve uh, those stated political goals. So I was really surprised that uh, in, in Washington State, for instance, is a variety of different colors and design aesthetics are entirely feasible. They're functional. They're not creating massive social hysteria. And uh, the, the federal government did not take their cues from these proven successful uh, packaging restrictions. Do you think there's any hope? You know, because we're still in such nascent period of time right now that, you know, maybe as, as the years roll on that these restrictions might loosen up further down the road as maybe more data comes out, more understanding about the impacts of this marketing? Uh, I, I would like to say yes. And I know that the collective licensed producers, craft producers, microprocessors, all of these people will be lobbying very hard to, to be, you know, achieve more reasonable and rational packaging restrictions. But there's also, you know, a huge political motivation, I think, for appeasement of some strange, you know, conservative demographic that I, I can identify that has any interest in the cannabis industry. But perhaps international defensibility is playing into that, too. Sure, the United States is watching us. I know that the, the Europe and the UK and, uh, are, are watching us very closely. So hopefully we can we can lobby and pitch for, for more rational regulations over time. But uh, it's very clear now that Health Canada and the federal liberals are, are taking a highly conservative approach in the brand strategy. And I, I think that that's going to be a larger monolith to tear down than any of us can anticipate. Well, Dan, always a pleasure. Really appreciate your insights today. Thanks so much. That's Dan Sutton, founder and managing director of Tantalus Labs. And you're listening to Business in Vancouver on Roundhouse Radio 98.3. I think Tyler Orton. And that was Dan Sutton from Tantalus Labs. And this podcast was brought to you by Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors. Manning Elliott has been providing expert accounting, assurance, business advisory, tax, and valuation services to businesses in the Lower Mainland and Fraser Valley since 1952. If you're serious about taking your business and brand to the next level, if you want an accounting firm that'll be there to help you every step of the way, give Manning Allied Accountants and Business Advisors a call at 604-714-3600 at 604-714-3600, or else check them out on their website at manningelliot.ca. So we're going to continue our podcast all about the cannabis industry with Deepak Anand. He, of course, is the Vice President of Government Relations at Cannabis Compliance. We're going to be analyzing, I guess, the politics of Bill C-45, the Senate vote that just took place. And we're also going to highlight some of the challenges that lay ahead before this industry really gets going. And believe me, there are some major challenges. Welcome back to the show. You're listening to Business in Vancouver on Roundhouse Radio 98.3. We are the daily business news program from Business in Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Tyler Orton. Well, we have Bill C-45. It legalizes and regulates marijuana in Canada, and it has passed its second Senate vote with a 44 to 29 victory. And it's now headed to a committee review with us to break down a lot of the implications going forward from here. It's Deepak Anand. He is vice president of government relations at Cannabis Compliance. He's joining us now. Deepak, thanks for joining us on the show once again. Thanks for having me, Tyler. So the, it seemed as if there were some question marks just a few weeks ago about the future of this. I think everybody agrees July is not looking like the month that 
recreational cannabis will be legalized here in Canada as the government had initially planned. But what kind of doubts was this Senate vote casting on the industry so far? Yeah, so um, it's most likely I think we're going to see a September date for legalization at this point. But uh, there was a number of concerns brought forth, uh, obviously, in the Senate. Um, we saw both um, independent senators as well as uh, conservative senators raise a whole host of questions. Uh, now, the Senate has been debating this issue for you know at least the past month, month and a half, and I think they'll go on for the next uh, uh, next few weeks here until June 7th, which is when there's a final date for them to vote on. Um, the issues range from uh, you know multiple sort of things from age of access. Um, the big ones that really stood out were home cultivation and, and how the government was going to ensure um, home cultivation limits were maintained. Uh, now, just keep in mind, Tyler, we've got federal sort of systems in place, which is what C45 is about, but then we've got further down provincial systems that will govern sort of how uh, distribution will take place of cannabis. So the federal laws, which is what this bill uh, sort of pertains to, is around the cultivation of cannabis. It is interesting because we did have information coming out last week uh, with regards to, say, the marketing of uh, cannabis uh, that uh, Health Canada would allow. And it also raised some concerns over maybe some of the micro growers, what they would be able to do really kind of, uh, you know, get out there. But I mean, are we starting to see that things are, I guess, coming into formation? We, we kind of know what the industry is going to be shaping up to look like by the end of the year? Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, I think what Health Canada did, uh, you know, last week was they released a What We Heard survey. So they had... Uh, initially put out some draft regulations in terms of uh, helping Canadians understand what it is that they're going to be regulating. Uh, and in that same document, they had put out questions for opinions in terms of what Canadians thought in terms of the best way to be able to um, sort of legalize and, and strictly control this, this product. So what we saw was certainly a definition on microcultivation. And microcultivation is basically an attempt for the federal government to permit for smaller producers to enter um, the legal cannabis industry. The way it currently works uh, for medical purposes is there's some really sort of high barriers to entry where unless you've got three to five million dollars it's impossible to set up one of these facilities and the micro producer sort of category is basically aiming towards uh, taking that out and essentially allowing for smaller craft producers to be part of the business. So uh, we have some definitions through what we heard. We know that it's going to be 2,150 square feet in terms of the canopy limit where micro producers can uh, produce cannabis. Uh, they would in turn have to sell those to either microprocessors or standard licensed producers. Well, the interesting thing about the Senate vote as, as well is that, I mean, obviously it wasn't passed unanimously, you know, it's a 44 to 29 vote, but you maybe poll the average Canadian and I, I think people are in favor of, you know, the, the, this approach or, or not, I should not say this approach, I, I should say the overall concept of, you know, legalization of, of recreational cannabis within the country. Um, I'm, I'm maybe painting Canadians with a broad brush right there. But I, I will say this, do you think one of the reasons why we, we do have kind of that uh, gap between the number of votes that were cast in favor versus against is just because of the approach that we're seeing being taken, not just by the federal government, but as you had pointed out that, I mean, there's going to be different rules depending on province to province. Is there still going to be, I guess, some polit political, I guess, maneuvering that's going to have to take place in order to make this roll out in a smooth way? Absolutely. I think if you look at just the way that Senate vote was cast and, you know, uh, you know how close almost it was. I mean, the numbers didn't really say it was that close because it was 29 to 44. 
but it was still, you know, um, uh, you know, just listening to the vote being cast. I have to say, I was uh, a bit on edge there for a while, just uh, seeing where this would go. But it absolutely speaks to the political sort of nature of this. And you know, for most people, you know, this is far from done. I think a lot of people think that legalization is absolutely happening. Uh, keep in mind that you know, looking at what some of the senators have said, certainly the way some of them have voted, um, it's it's an indication that Senate is potentially going to make a number of changes to this bill. Um, and, you know, there's going to be some back and forth and the bill certainly go, going to go back to the House uh, where the proposed sort of modifications from the Senate are going to go through. I mean, the government is very committed to making legalization happen. They will make it happen at whatever cost. And in, in some, and what I'm afraid here that the cost might be quite a few limitations further from the bill. So, uh, so this is far from in the bag, and it's certainly going to be very interesting up until June the 7th when we know what that vote's going to look like and what that final amendment's going to look like. And perhaps I'll expose my ignorance here to a certain degree, but it, it heads to committee. And let's say hypothetically there are some uh, changes made and maybe not just you know superficial changes, but things that would have an impact on the industry. What does it mean maybe from the provincial perspective? Because I, I do know in British Columbia, it's been on, at least with guests, other guests that we've had on the show, it's, it's been criticized for not being as swift to move with pursuing this industry as say in Ontario, for example. Um, what does it mean if there's major changes coming out of committee and the provinces have to react? Could that delay the introduction of this market even further down the road? Well, I think some of the changes are going to be more um, administrative in nature, where I think it'll be easy for some of the provinces to adjust their legislation accordingly. But it is very interesting, Tyler. I mean, we've got provinces developing their legislation before we've got any federal regulation. So it's a bit a bit of a cart before the horse situation here, where, you know, we've got provinces basically saying they're going to go ahead and, 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 and legalize and sort of uh, regulate something in absence of uh, absolute federal regulations. But uh, I don't think that it's going to delay things. I think there are going to be uh, smaller uh, amendments and uh, it'll be fairly easy for the provinces to kind of make those amendments. Uh, I look at BC and I, and I think BC said they're going to announce something in the spring. So, uh, you know, I think there's, uh, you know, still a bit of time here for them to make amendments. Um, in Ontario, on the other hand, in Quebec, uh, it's certainly a very public system. So uh, I think it's going to be easy for the OCS, which is the um, Ontario Cannabis uh, sort of uh, retail system there to be able to make those amendments uh, very, very quickly, given that they're the only ones that are impacted and they're going to control 100% of not just distribution, but also sale of uh, non-medical cannabis. Yeah, and and I don't don't want to pick on my home province or anything like that here, but I mean, just from your perspective, your position, and I should reiterate to listeners, we're talking to Deepak Anand. He's vice president of government relations at Cannabis Compliance but just from your perspective, Deepak, I mean, what is, what provinces are really taking the lead on, you know, pursuing this? Like, who? And I know it's still very early on in the game at, at this point, but I mean, what provinces are doing quite well at ensuring this could be, I guess, as smooth a transition as possible? Even though I think a lot of people are expecting some bumps in the road. Yeah, I think if you look at, um, uh, you know, Manitoba and Saskatchewan, I think they've done, you know, they've come up with a great program, Manitoba in particular, uh, you know, they've they've decided that MBLL, which is their uh, liquor and gaming sort of commission is going to oversee the licensing of this, but they're really going to let the private industry dictate what happens both on the retail and the online retail side, uh, which is interesting. And I think that's, that's a great model to follow. Uh, you know, the models in, in Ontario and B, I, I mean, 
in BC and Alberta aren't aren't particularly as bad because it's a, it's a mixed model, uh, particularly in BC where they're they've decided you know there's certainly a lot of dispensaries that are currently considered illegal, but uh, you know I think this is a great opportunity for those dispensaries to basically transition themselves into the non-medical retail as the as the BC government calls it. But uh, I see those models all you know everything west of sort of Ontario and Quebec being you know quite interesting, and I think they'll be the ones that will be successful come legalization. Uh, the online one is is a very critical one to to pay attention to because currently there's a lot of purchases being done online. It's certainly online for medical to the licensed producer regime, but there's also a very large online e-commerce illegal distribution currently that's happening. So that will be one to pay attention to in terms of the different provincial models and as they arise. Yeah, I, I do know that it rankled a few people here in British Columbia, just knowing that the BC Liquor Distribution Branch would have to be in, in charge, I guess, in, in charge of a lot of the logistics behind this. And that actually, so you have like these former, you know, or current medical uh, producers that would be mailing out directly right now. But if you go into the recreational industry, they would have to kind of send it to a middleman, essentially. And that, that is kind of frustrating for some of the industry. No, absolutely. And especially for the BCLDV that's really had no history in e-commerce logistics and delivery. I mean, I saw that they put out an RFP uh, for online distribution. And I think that essentially, I think they may get into the online distribution of liquor, but it's very heavily sort of uh, catered towards cannabis. And I think it's going to be a, a quite a steep learning curve for the LDB, uh, very much unlike Ontario, where we've seen the LCBO, which is the, the, the regulator that oversees liquor distribution and now cannabis distribution in Ontario. They they come from a, a sophisticated approach. They've been doing e-commerce dis- distribution for some time, but I think it's it's going to be an interesting one for the LDB to grapple with online distribution in addition to all the other different things that they're going to have to grapple with, which is supply agreements, making sure you know shelves are stocked, making sure they're carrying the right product, making sure they're negotiating with licensed producers. So there's a fair deal of work to be done there uh, for the LDB. Yeah, and well, Deepak, as we look over at Canada as a whole, you, you're placing bets on maybe September is when uh, we'll get this uh, going here. But I mean, what are the big hurdles or what are the big you know, challenges coming up next that we have to keep our eyes on here across Canada? Yeah, so the big one is the Senate. Um, you know, as I said, I think this is not in the bag. I think it's it's going to be a very interesting one to watch. The Senate's got a whole bunch of committees that are going to be studying this and hearing from expert witnesses. I think there's going to be a lot of questions back and forth. As I said, you know, we know the Conservative senators are certainly very opposed to this in principle, but there's a number of independent senators that aren't 100% sold on this, and they would like to see some admin, amendments to the bill. In fact, even if you look at how some of those independents voted, they, they voted with caveat saying, you know, they they do agree in principle, but they'd like to see amendments. So certainly Senate amendments are something to keep a watchful eye on until June 7th, which is that date, uh, following which we know that uh, the bill will get royal assent uh, once the once Parliament's actually made the amendments that the Senate is happy with. Uh, and then we know that the Minister of Health has said there needs to be a cooling off period between the time that the bill receives royal assent until the bill essentially becomes law. So uh, there's going to be a, a bit of time there that, that, that goes in between those. But but these are sort of the major milestones to watch out for. And I'm sure after everything comes to pass, it's just going to be smooth sailing, no problems whatsoever. And uh, we'll have nothing left to talk about, right, Deepak? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, okay. that's not going to be the case. <laughs> okay. Well, you'll have to keep us updated in the interim. But uh, for now, I, I want to thank you for joining us on the program today. Thanks for having me, Tyler.
That's Deepak Anand. He is Vice President of Government Relations at Cannabis Compliance. And you're listening to Business in Vancouver on Roundhouse Radio 98.3. I'm Tyler Orton. And that was Deepak Anand, Vice President of Government Relations at Cannabis Compliance Incorporated. And of course, this podcast was brought to you by Manning Elliott Accounts and Business Advisors. And don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes. Maybe even give us five stars if you'd be so kind. It's going to help even more listeners discover the podcast over the internet. In the meantime, you can find my stories at BIV.com or else follow me on Twitter. I'm at Reporton. That's R-E-P-O-R-T-O-N. Till next time, this has been the Business in Vancouver podcast.